Understanding communication and people who don't communicate is challenging. Separating speech from gestures and determining the origin of things like echolalia, which is meaningless repetition of words, requires researchers to get creative. Well, a researcher at Miami University named Aaron Shield is getting creative by using his skills as a researcher in deafness and hearing disorders in autism. ASF was happy to support a small accelerator grant a few years ago to investigate autism features in people who are deaf and use sign language. And I have to say, his research has grown to include studying how people with autism communicate, both verbally and non-verbally. He's participated in two conferences led by Matt Lerner's group at Stony Brook, which specifically discuss the nature of communication in people with autism. People who are deaf and who have learned to communicate from birth using sign language sometimes overcome challenges in conversational turn-taking and understanding what the other person is thinking. His previous work, however, showed that this is not the case in autism. People with autism have challenges in communication beyond just speech that are different from people who are deaf. However, they also show many similarities. The meeting therefore included people who were deaf and signed to explain their communication challenges compared to those with autism who were verbal. The conversations at that meeting are for a whole other podcast. In fact, I think I did devote a whole podcast to it earlier, so I won't get distracted now. Understanding the roots of the links between early language and ability to communicate and later social development are key to understanding autism. But why else study people who are deaf to understand autism? Dr. Shield was gracious enough to explain what this meant. Although sign and speech are both considered language, the skills needed to learn sign are slightly different from speech. Consider that in sign, the linguistic symbol, which is a manual sign or gesture, is perceived visually using the eyes. In speech, the linguistic symbol, which is the word, is perceived auditorily using the ears. This means that children have to be looking at you while you're producing a sign, otherwise they will miss it. This is different from speech because kids don't have to be looking at you to hear a word. This is especially interesting when considering children with ASD who might have difficulty looking at other people. So when we study deaf children with ASD, we get to ask lots of interesting questions that we don't necessarily get to ask when looking at hearing kids with ASD such as what happens when kids have social challenges, such as aversion to looking at other people's faces, if the language itself is visual and is partially transmitted through facial expressions. Are deaf kids with ASD able to interpret such facial expressions? Does practice with a visual language lead kids to have better social skills, such as looking at faces or visual attention? This is an especially important question because we don't really know what the possible benefits of sign language exposure could be for children with ASD. Typical kids who sign show all kinds of advantages in terms of their visual attention and their face perception. So it's possible that deaf kids with ASD could be similarly advantaged over hearing kids with ASD. I also asked Dr. Shield to explain how and if this can be helpful in intervention strategies for autism. This is what he said. Well, the echolalia study showed that some deaf kids with ASD echo signs, just as some hearing kids with ASD echo words. So in that sense, the study shows again that sign and speech are equivalent. Sign language won't necessarily be easier for kids who don't speak. On the other hand, it is possible that for some kids, a visual language, such as a sign language, might be more accessible than a spoken one. We can't say definitively if this is the case yet. More studies are needed. However, I do think that studying deaf or signing children with ASD has the potential to inform intervention strategies for all families with children with ASD. 
One possible source of rich information is the deaf parents of children with ASD. We've known for a long time that deaf parents are really, really good at getting their kids' attention and maintaining it. They use innovative strategies for regulating attention and are better at it than typical hearing parents. For example, they move more into their children's line of vision before trying to communicate, or they even sometimes will sign on their children's bodies, especially when they're little. I'm curious to find out what attention-regulating strategies deaf parents of kids with ASD are using. Are they different from hearing parents, and are they more successful? If we find that they are using different strategies than hearing parents of kids with ASD, we could teach hearing parents how to better regulate their children's attention. This is just one example. So you can see how studying sign as a different form of language and deaf people who see the world in a different way can enrich all of us and possibly lead to new insights that we might have missed if we only studied hearing people or spoken languages. Finally, he wants everyone to know the answer to the million dollar question, why this is important for autism. We now know a lot more than we used to about language acquisition by kids with ASD, both deaf and hearing. We know that early intervention is key. We also know that exposure to language in whatever form is accessible to the child is extremely important. Deaf children who are exposed to sign do much better, by and large, by almost every measure, including learning English, than deaf children who are not exposed to sign. Kids with ASD show a variety of learning styles. I would encourage parents to follow their children's strengths and interests to find the learning style that might work best for their children. With regard to sign language, it definitely can't hurt to try visual communication in addition to speech but sign language won't necessarily succeed where speech may have failed. Sign language works very similarly to spoken language. So a child who's echolalic in speech would probably show a very similar pattern in sign. It appears that echolalic children tend to repeat language whether or not it's signed or spoken. For parents of deaf children with ASD, I want them to know that there are some specific programs for the, their children. The American School for the Deaf in Hartford, Connecticut, for example, is opening a program for deaf children with ASD this fall. The Learning Center for the Deaf in Massachusetts has been very good at working with such children for a number of years. And there are others. There's also a parent network called Deaf Autism America. You can find them on Facebook, and they're having a retreat in August. So resources are becoming more and more available. I would encourage any parents who have a deaf or hard of hearing child with ASD to get in touch with other parents to find out what they are doing and what works best. And while I'm at great works of ASF fellows on understanding the role of speech and language in autism, another Accelerator Award grantee, Karen Chinoski at Boston University, looked at very early language development in people with and without autism. And when I say very early, I mean very, very early, like a year old. The idea was to better understand how language and speech problems, even before kids can speak sentences, can later influence language development and social development. She used the ever-important infant-sibling design to study the very, very early development of speech. Because it's logistically and economically impossible to study all infants who develop autism from younger than a year, scientists rely on a design where siblings of people with autism who have a 20 times higher rate of autism are studied. The design is also important because siblings who both develop autism and not diagnosed are included, so clinicians can better understand how this behavior emerges in those with a high genetic probability of developing autism, but don't end up receiving a diagnosis. She focused on speech production, particularly consonant production. Consonants are those non-vowels, so anything other than A-E-I-O-U. 
You may wonder why consonant production matters at all. Who cares? Speech is speech. Well, as it turns out, that's not really true. I mean, I wish it were true. It would make things so much easier. However, there's a growing body of research that shows that toddlers with ASD vocalize or produce speech-like vocalizations less often than typically developing peers. If there is less speech and less vocal practice, then this can snowball, resulting in consonant production delays, reducing the opportunities to talk, get spoken to, and get feedback from communication partners. It tends to create an avalanche of problems. Several findings emerged from her study. First, toddlers who developed autism had lower rates of vocalizations that were speech-like. Second, toddlers with autism didn't show differences in the number of consonants they produced. Hmm. Also, if you include vocalization rate at 12 months, the group that showed the fewest number of consonants were those that had the high probability of autism but did not receive a diagnosis. Another hmm. So why should you care about these lack of differences? Well, this is very important for clinicians. This study was different from others because they elicited speech. They didn't just wait for it to happen. Spontaneous samples may be too time-consuming to acquire for these children, and if they're not long enough, they may give the impression that their consonant inventories are reduced. So this may be a better design for understanding speech in toddlers. Second, it changes the way speech and language therapists should be dividing their time. Instead of focusing on consonants when language is normal, children and toddlers should spend time in the social pragmatic training. So sometimes, Lack of a difference is just as important than a difference itself. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week when I recap the Autism Society of America annual meeting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.